In this episode, we're going to create a load-balanced web cluster using Vagrant and Ansible. The goal is to show you how Ansible can solve real problems by building up complex infrastructure from scratch. Before we dive in, let's quickly review what this episode series is about. In part 1, episode number 43, we looked at what Ansible is at a high level, basically a comparison of doing things manually versus using configuration management. Part 2, episode 45, served as a bit of an Ansible crash course. We used both ad hoc commands and playbooks to deploy packages, configuration files, and restart services. In this episode, we're going to pick up from where we left off in part 2 of this series, building out our Vagrant environment even more to support a load-balanced web cluster. That being said, you should have at least watched part 2 before jumping into this one. Then finally in part 4, we're going to close out this series with a zero-downtime rolling website deployment across our cluster of web nodes. The end result of our activities today will be a Vagrant environment with a fully functioning HA proxy load balancer with six Nginx web nodes sitting behind it. We'll be using Ansible to install all of the required packages, deploy configuration files, and start the correct services on each of these boxes, all without ever logging into any of these nodes manually. We'll then fire up a web browser and start sending requests to the load balancer, and we'll watch as our requests cycle through the six web servers while we hit refresh in the browser. This is a pretty cool demo, but it's not just eye candy. We'll also learn some new things about Ansible as we work through getting this configured. So how are we going to build this out? Well, I thought we'd work through the process at a high level before we jump to the command line and actually make it happen. We're going to be picking up from where we left off in part two of this episode series, in that we had installed and configured an Ansible management node with host inventory and supporting episode playbooks. We also had two web nodes, but I thought this time we'd bump that number up to six through the Vagrant file. I should stress that this isn't required, you can actually leave it at 2. I'm just doing this for a dramatic effect because I think it's fun to see how Ansible works across a bunch of machines. Finally, let's not forget about the load balancer. So, our updated Vagrant environment will have a total of 8 virtual machines, an Ansible management node, a load balancer, and our 6 web servers. With the Vagrant file updated and our additional web nodes launched, we can then log into the management node where we can update the host inventory, deploy an SSH key for passwordless access, and then we're going to use the ping module to test connectivity within our Vagrant environment. The tasks so far are basically to onboard new nodes into the environment and to make sure Ansible can talk to them. Once we have all that sorted out, we can review the E46 playbook. This E46 playbook contains all of the interesting bits, which allows us to configure the load balanced web cluster in just about 60 lines of text. You'll likely recognize the package, file, and service pattern which will allow us to configure the load balancer and six web nodes. I think you'll be surprised at how simple it actually is to create an environment like this. Okay, so armed with this script, we'll execute Ansible playbook E46 site on the management node. Ansible will read in our E46 site playbook, check out the host inventory to see which nodes it should run commands against, then at this point it's ready to go. Ansible will connect out to all of these machines in parallel through the SSH trust and turn our default virtual machines into the configuration that we've defined in the playbook. What I find so neat about this is that as far as Ansible is concerned, we just run this one command, but the output is a fully configured environment. To round this episode out, we'll review the HAProxy load balancer interface too, so that we can get some statistics about which servers are getting traffic, and I think it's pretty neat to have a behind-the-scenes look at this. Okay, I've probably talked long enough about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, so let's hop over to the command line and actually do it. First, we're going to change into the E45 directory. This is the project directory where we extracted the supporting examples archive back in part two. 
If you do not know about this, make sure you go and watch episode part 2 of this series. We can check the status of the Vagrant environment by running Vagrant status, and as you can see, we still have referral virtual machines running from part 2. You'll notice that we only have two web servers here, so let's open up the Vagrant file in an editor and bump that number up to 6. Just a little recap, but we have three blocks of code here, one for the management node, one for the load balancer, and the final one here is for our web nodes. We simply need to update the number 2 here to the number 6, and that will add our additional web nodes. Again, this isn't required, but I think it makes for a better demo. I think there's a bit of a hidden bonus too, and that's that we can work through the process of adding brand new machines into a Vagrant environment. Okay, let's save and exit out of here. With the Vagrant file updated, let's run Vagrant status again, and we should see our new web nodes. Great, so we have 8 nodes total in our Vagrant environment, the 4 original ones, and our 4 new web servers, web 3, 4, 5, and 6. And you'll notice that they're in the not created state. So let's run Vagrant up, and it will launch those new machines into our Vagrant environment so that we have access to them. This took about 3.5 minutes in real time, but I've sped up the video a little bit just so that we can make things go a little bit quicker. Let's run Vagrant status again, just to verify everything is up and running. Great, looks good. Let's connect to the management node by running Vagrant SSH MGMT. Nothing has changed on the management node since part 2, in that we still have all of our examples here, along with the Ansible configuration file and host inventory. You'll notice that our host inventory only has two web nodes right now. The others are commented out. So let's go ahead and uncomment web 3, 4, 5, and 6. We can do that by opening up the inventory file in VI. Let's just scroll down here and uncomment these lines. Now Ansible should recognize these lines as part of the web group. I'm just going to save and we'll head back to the command line. I probably mentioned this before, but when I make a change, I generally like to verify that it worked. We can do that by checking to see if the file looks like what we think it should look like. This has actually saved me countless times while deploying changes or working on help desk tickets, and I think it's just a good habit to develop. We should actually verify our management node has connectivity to these new web servers too. We can test this out by pinging web3, then 4, then web5, and finally web6. Okay, so at this point the management node can at least talk to these web servers on the network level and name resolution is working via the Etsy host entries we added back in part 2. Let's go ahead and configure passwordless access into these web servers. You might remember that back in part 2 of this series we used SSH keyscan to acknowledge SSH fingerprint authenticity in bulk and pipe these keys into the known host file. Then we deployed the Vagrant user's public RSA key out to these remote nodes via the E45 SSH add key playbook. Well, since we just added some new nodes to our Vagrant environment, we need to repeat this process. Luckily, it goes pretty quickly. Let's just run SSH keyscan, web3, web4, web5, and web6. Then redirect the output to .ssh, no one hosts. With that done, let's push out the Vagrant user's public RSA key to web3, 4, 5, and 6 through the use of the E45 SSH add key playbook. Let's run Ansible playbook, E45 SSH add key. And since this is the first time connecting to these web nodes, we need to tack on the Ask Pass option, since we don't have passwordless access configured yet. And the password is just Vagrant. The output luckily looks familiar, as we've run these types of commands before, but let's work through what's happening here. One task was run against all nodes, and that was to install an SSH key. And as you can see, Web1, Web2, and the load balancer already had it, so nothing was done. However, our four new web nodes had the key deployed. Then down here we see the standard playbook recap. Now that we have the host inventory updated and pushed out the SSH key, let's verify Ansible can actually talk to these nodes. Let's run ansible all-m ping. 
So we're running Ansible, the ad hoc version, targeting all nodes, specifying that we want to use a module, and then using the ping module. Let me just scroll up here, and as you can see, we get back ping pong messages from all the hosts in our Vagrant environment. Great, so this proves that we have connectivity and that things are generally in good shape. I know this has been a little bit long-winded, but these are the types of problems that you'll need to solve when adding new capacity into Ansible. There are easier ways of dealing with this though. For example, rather than having a host inventory as a flat file, you could use a database. This means that as new machines are added, there could be some automated method that would update the database for you, and Ansible would just know that these new machines exist. You can also automate the deployment of SSH keys too, by adding it when you install the machine. We're using Vagrant images here, but you might use canned OS images. Or you could have some type of post-install script that would inject the key into a new machine as it's launched. You kind of get the idea of where I'm going here. So even though this was a little long-winded, there are easier ways. You just need to figure them out. So at this point, we're here. We have the management node configured with the host inventory tweaks and the updated known host entries. We verified Ansible ping connectivity out to our six web servers and load balancer too. So this means everything is working at least at a basic level. The next step is to review the E46 site playbook and then run it against our client nodes. So let's jump back to the command line and do that. Just going to review the E46 site playbook using less, as it's a little longer than will fit on one screen. Then we can scroll through the various sections. I've broken this playbook into three plays. Plays are a new concept that I have not shown you yet, but let me explain how they work. Plays basically allow you to target specific groups of nodes from within the same playbook. Let's just work through this at a high level, and it should make sense pretty quickly. This first play targets all nodes in our host inventory. This is useful for laying down a common configuration across a fleet of machines. Think about all those standard or baseline changes that you want all machines to have. This is where those bits would go. Then down here we have something called the web play. This targets all of our web nodes for doing things like installing the web server, tweaking the configuration file, and starting services. Finally, we have something called the load balancer play, which targets our load balancer. Let's head back to the top of the file so that we can work through each section in detail and see what's happening. I guess the best way to explain this is that I've only shown you playbooks which have one play, but in this playbook, we've added a couple more. When you have playbooks with multiple plays, like this first one here, you need to really watch the formatting and how things are indented, as you'll get play syntax errors if the spaces are off. In practice, this likely isn't a huge issue, I just wanted to kind of bring it to your attention. Okay, so let's work through this play. We're targeting all nodes, using sudo, and turning off gathering facts. Next we have our task section. The idea is that we're going to install the git package across all of our machines. We're not actually going to use this just yet, but in part 4 of this series we're going to be pulling content from a github repository and deploying it as our website content. Down here we have our web play. This targets all of our web nodes, using sudo. And you'll notice down here that we've not disabled gathering facts. This means that facts will be gathered for these machines by default. We'll be using these facts in several templates that I'll show you in just a minute. Let's move on to the task section. So here we're installing Nginx. Next we're deploying a configuration file via this template, and then restarting Nginx if it changed. This notify restart Nginx section comes in handy if you need to deploy a new configuration file down the road, and you just want the service to be restarted to pick up the new settings. We're actually going to check out these templates right after we review this playbook, as I think this will give you a well-rounded idea of what's happening here. Next we deploy the default Nginx site, again using a template and notifying Nginx if it needs to be restarted. Finally, we deploy the default index.html file using a template. This is really simple, but in a production environment, you would likely be pulling your website content from a version control system. 
We're actually going to look at this type of system in part four of this episode series, doing rolling updates and switching between release versions pulled from GitHub. We have our restart nginx handler down here, which will be triggered if any of these configuration files are changed. The last play in this E46 site playbook configures our load balancer. We're targeting all machines in the load balancer group, but there's only one at this point. Here we're making sure that we're running commands as sudo. Then down here we have the tasks section. This block here is actually something new, but it basically allows you to iterate over a list of packages and have them installed without having many duplicate code blocks. Say for example that you wanted to install 15 packages. You would just add them to this with items list and then use this app package line here to get them installed. Kind of like a for loop walking over a list of items. I've linked to the Ansible documentation that covers loops. Just check out the link section below and it has all types of examples. I guess the gist of this is that we're installing the HA proxy and the socket cat packages, but you could easily install more packages if needed just by adding them to this list. Next, we're replacing a line in the Etsy HA proxy defaults file with the line in file module, which will allow us to enable HA proxy. I've linked to this line in file module in the episode notes below so you can check out what that does, and there's lots of good examples in there. We also notify the handler if this changes. Finally, we deploy the HAProxy configuration file. You should likely understand the majority of this, as it's just the package configuration file and service pattern that we've heavily covered in part two. And no matter the configuration management tool that you wind up using, you'll likely see this theme over and over with varying degrees of fanciness. Okay, so that's pretty much it. And as you can see, we're not doing anything too crazy in here, just installing some packages, deploying configuration files, and making sure things are started. Let's have a peek through the templates folder and get a sense for what these configuration files actually look like. So we have the four configuration files here. Let's start out by reviewing the nginx server configuration file. You'll notice that with most of these files, they're actually stock configuration files, but I've just made a few modifications. The first one is to add this Ansible managed fact up at the top. You should remember this from part two. The idea is to let anyone who looks at this file on a remote machine that it's actually managed by Ansible, along with any metadata about how it was generated. So this serves as a good warning, since if someone changes it, there's a high probability that it's going to be overwritten on the next Ansible run. I'm not going to talk too much about the stock Nginx configuration, as you can easily read about that, but I have made a couple tweaks down here. I found this blog posting about how you can add a header to each server response just to indicate which backend server served the request. This probably isn't so useful in production, but it's pretty nice for debugging in our environment while testing. And I'll show you what this looks like in just a minute. Again, this is not a good idea for production, but I've disabled all caching. This will allow us to debug the environment without any client or server side caching issues. So that's pretty much it. Nothing too crazy in here, just a couple tweaks to allow for easy debugging. Next, let's check out the Nginx default site template. You'll notice the Ansible managed comment fact up top here. The only other change in here is that we set the server name to the host name of the node serving this request. This is done through an Ansible fact, hence why we do not disable fact gathering in the playbook. Let's actually jump back to the command line and see how this works. I'm just going to type the command and we can work through how this works. Ansible web1-m setup-a Filter equals Ansible hostname. So we ran the ad hoc Ansible version against WebWAD, specified that we want to use a module, then we provided the setup module. The setup module allows you to gather facts from remote machines. It's a confusing module name, I know, but it's used for gathering facts. And then we provided an argument saying that we wanted to filter for the Ansible hostname fact. 
This looks through the huge listing of facts returned from the setup module against web1 and pulls out the Ansible hostname fact. Then down here in the output we see that we have the hostname web1. So if we check out that default site template again, you can see here that we're going to set the server name to the hostname of our remote machines. This is extremely useful for creating generic templates then customizing around facts for each machine. So now that we've chatted about the Nginx config and the default site, let's check out the index.html file. The index.html file will be the one served up to our browser when we connect to each of the nodes through the load balancer. You can see that it's actually a really simple file. And my web design skills are a little lacking, so I did some reading on how to center text horizontally and vertically. And these are the links here. The interesting bits are down here. We have our E46 heading. Then down here, you can see a message about how this request was served by, then the web server's hostname, and its IP address. This is just an added visual verification step that we're actually sending the connections through the load balancer to different web servers. Let me show you how we get this Ansible ETH1 IPv4 address fact. Let's jump back to the command line and rerun our ad hoc Ansible command against web1, but this time change the filter and set it to Ansible ETH1. You can see that we're given a bunch of facts about the ETH1 device, but you can see the IPv4 heading down here, then the address key, and finally we have our Ansible ETH1 IPv4 address value. So if we jump back to the template, I think you should start to get a clear picture of how we're actually populating some of these facts. If you're interested in playing around with them, I suggest running the ad hoc command without the filter, just to get a full listing of all the facts available, and then you can kind of see what your options are. Okay, so that's three templates down. Let's check out the HA proxy template before creating our load balanced environment. This is actually a pretty stock file except for a couple bits here and there. The way I captured these files was to manually install the packages by hand on each machine, then copy these files in their default state back to our management node. This is where I mean that configuration management isn't really a silver bullet, in that you still have to do things manually at least once, then from there you can start to automate. So this did take a while to install, test, tweak, etc. before everything worked. Then you capture the end result and put it into Ansible. This is one of the things that I absolutely love about Ansible and Vagrant, in that I probably destroyed and recreated this environment 25 plus times while testing for this episode series. And this task would have been near impossible without automation tools. Okay, so let's quickly review this file, then we'll get on with the demos. You can see our standard header up here. Again, I'm not going to talk too much about the standard config, as you can easily look that up. The one thing I did change was to enable this statistics URI. This will allow us to see various statistics about the HA proxy by hitting this special link, and it will be extremely useful for debugging our environment. Finally, we dynamically build out the backend server list based around facts provided by Ansible. Do not worry about understanding this too much, as we'll review a side-by-side -side comparison of what the end result looks like after we deploy the environment. But we're running a for loop for all hosts in the load balancer group. Then we're putting a line entry down here that says listen on the Ansible ETH0 IPv4 address. The gist of this is that we want to make sure the load balancer is listening on the correct IP address. Then we set the load balancer algorithm to use. In our case, this is using Route Robin, which will direct traffic across the nodes one after another. Finally, we have a second for loop. This time we're adding backend web nodes. So we're saying for all nodes in the web group, add a server entry here, listing the host name, then adding its IP address. Again, don't worry about too much about understanding this right now, as we'll look at a side-by-side -side comparison in just a minute. At this point, I think I've covered everything that you need to know, so let's go ahead and pull the trigger and set up this load balance web cluster using Ansible. We can run Ansible, Playbook, E46, Site. I have sped this Playbook run up a little bit, as it took about a minute and 25 seconds to run. 
Now that the command is returned, let's go ahead and scroll up to the top here where we first ran the command and work through what happened. So the E46 site playbook has three plays in it. Let's see if we can figure out how the output relates to each one. As we can see in this first block here, it's the play that's targeting all nodes, where we install git onto all nodes in our host inventory. Then down here we have the web play. This is where our web tier gets installed and configured. And since we didn't explicitly turn off gathering facts, you can see that facts are gathered about our web nodes. This is important because we've included these facts throughout various configuration files. Next we install nginx, deploy the server's configuration file, set up our default site, push out the index.html file, and finally a restart of nginx is triggered due to the notification hooks on all of the configuration files. The final play in the E46 site playbook configures our load balancer. Again, we have not turned off gathering facts, so it happens by default. Next we install the required packages, enable HA proxy, deploy our custom configuration file, which is heavily based around facts gathered from our Vagrant environment. Finally, a restart of HAProxy has been triggered since the various configuration files have been updated. And as always, we have the playbook recap down here. Let's just rerun the Ansible playbook E46 site command again to make sure nothing changes. Great, so this acts as a bit of a verification that our environment conforms to what we've defined. So that is how we configure this environment. Now this might actually be a bit of a letdown, as we've had all this build up, and now it's as simple as running a single command to build out this entire environment. I really think this speaks to the power of Vagrant and Ansible, as you can just download these supporting files and get this up and running rather quickly. I just wanted to take a moment and explain how we're going to connect from our host machine into the Vagrant environment to the load balancer. I thought the best way was just to add an overlay and then we can talk about it. So on this side we have the machines launched inside our Vagrant environment. Not shown here is the Ansible management node, but it's on this side too. Then over here you have your desktop, laptop, or whatever you're running Vagrant on. But I'm just going to call this the host machine. In our Vagrant file which created this virtual Vagrant environment, we map port 8080 from the host machine into the load balancer's port 80. So when we connect to localhost 8080 on the host machine, it's actually being redirected inside our Vagrant environment to the load balancer on port 80. How about we jump back to the command line and see how this works, as it might make more sense if we're reviewing the Vagrant file too. The slash Vagrant mount links back to our project directory on the host machine. So you can see the Vagrant file here. Let's just open it up and have a look. The second block here defines how the load balancer should be created, and you can see this forwarded port option here, where we map port 8080 on the host machine to port 80 on the guest. So that's how this works. It's rather simple, but extremely powerful for testing network connected services. Let's just exit out of the Vagrant file and we'll head back to the diagrams for a minute. So when we make a connection from our browser to localhost 8080 on the host machine, we're actually being forwarded into the Vagrant environment. Then when we hit refresh, we were distributed across our web nodes. Personally, I just find this so cool, as we can play around with pretty complex virtual environments and the overhead for creating this is not really that much, once you have a hang of how Vagrant and Ansible work. Okay, let's jump over to a browser and actually test this out in real life. So we're sitting here on the Ansible website. Let's just change the location to localhost 8080 and hit enter. Sweet, so we connected into the Vagrant environment through the load balancer and our request was served by Web1. You can see our nice little E46 heading here. Then down here it says our request was served by Web1 and Web1's IP address. Let's hit refresh a few times and we can watch this cycle through the web nodes. Pretty cool, right? We can actually check out the load balancer's statistics page too by using our second tab and navigating to localhost 8080 haproxy question mark stats. This is the statistics report generated by haproxy and keeps us up to date with traffic totals across the load balancer. We can actually watch these stats change too by switching back to our first tab, 
Uh, we'll hit refresh a few times here. Then coming back to the HA proxy report and hitting refresh, you can see that web one, two, and three each served an additional request. We can also test this out by heading to the command line from our host machine using curl to hit the load balancer. Let's run curl dash capital I, and then we'll hit localhost on port 8080. And we can just run this a few times. You might remember that backend server header that we added in the Nginx configuration file. Well, you can see the header added here. So our request was served by web four, five, and then six. This kind of thing can actually be really useful for debugging your HA proxy and web nodes, as you have a sense of who you're talking to. Heading back to the HA proxy statistics page, we can hit refresh and grab the latest report. As you can see, the request counts have been updated. I thought we might fire up Apache Benchmark running from our host machine against the load balancer, just for fun. This doesn't really prove anything other than padding the stats counts, but it might give you some insights into how a high traffic website might distribute load across machines. Let's run ab-n10000-c25, and then we'll give it the localhost 8080 link. So we're saying use Apache Benchmark, issue 10,000 requests with a concurrency of 25, and the URL is localhost 8080. This actually goes pretty quickly, but you can see the 10,000 requests completed successfully with zero failures, and we see the requests per second down here. Uh, we can head back to the HA proxy stats page and hit refresh again. Now you can see that we have some meaningful numbers in here. So this is how you'd use Ansible to stand up a load balanced web cluster. I just wanted to chat about a couple more things before we end this episode. Let's have a look at what the HAProxy server's configuration file looks like, as we've heavily generated this using templates and facts from our environment. I've opened up two terminal windows here, both connected to the management node, and we're going to look at a side-by-side -side comparison of what the HAProxy configuration file looks like. So in the top window, let's cat the HAProxy template from the management node, just to get an idea of what the for loops look like. Then in the bottom terminal window, let's SSH from the management node into our load balancer. What's so cool about this is this is actually our first time logging into this machine, and it's been fully configured without us ever logging into it manually. From here, let's cat the Etsy HAProxy HAProxy config file. And this last block here is what we're looking for. I just thought it would be a good way of showing you what the before and after states look like for this template. You might actually find it useful to review these files on your own or play around with the various facts, as it's a great way of learning. I hope at this point you have a pretty good idea of what this real-world Ansible use case would look like. I actually had several additional demos planned by way of these four playbooks, but when working through the editing process for this episode, I realized that I was already running way too long. So what I'm going to do is I'll leave these here as a bit of homework for you if you're interested. Then you can go through these as you have time. Let me just show you what the E46 role site playbook looks like. As you can see, there's three plays in here, common, web, and load balancer, just like the E46 site playbook that we looked at earlier. There's a couple of interesting differences here though. First off, it's much shorter. There's no task section, but rather this roles definition. Roles allow you to move the configuration out of the playbook and into a file and directory structure called a role. Let me show you what I mean. And if we list the directories again, you can see this roles folder. We can just run tree against it to get an expanded view of the files and directories under it. So here you can see that we have a web role defined, along with tasks, handlers, and templates directories. Then in these folders we have configuration files and our template files. So roles allow you to remove bulky configuration out of the playbook and into a folder structure called a role. The goal of this is to make things a little more modular, so that you can share and reuse roles, along with not having playbooks that are thousands of lines long. Feel free to play around with these files and see what they do, and you can just run Ansible playbook against them just like a regular playbook. 
I've actually linked to the roles documentation page too. You can find it in the episode notes below and it's packed with useful information. Okay, so that's it for this episode and uh, be sure to watch part four as we'll be picking up where we left off here. All right, that concludes this episode. Thanks for watching. If you would like to get notified about future episodes, please subscribe to my mailing list. You can do this by going to the get notified link in the header and entering your email address. Have questions, comments, or concerns about this episode? What about episode ideas? I'd love to hear your feedback, either good or bad. Shoot me an email, justin at sysadmincasts.com.